0: Carol Zerniel is on special assignment today, and Peaches Hall is filling in. We're delighted to have Peaches with us. Peaches is the uh, uh, director at the Griffin Senior Community Center at Ingram Mall, right behind the Olive Garden on Loop 410 and we'll give you more information about what that means uh, throughout the program. Uh, it's a delight, uh, delight to have you here, Peaches, and need you to move into that microphone I am a so bit. glad
1: to be here again. It's always fun.
0: Well, you've had a lot of experience, obviously, working with seniors at the uh, Griffin Senior Center. Before that, uh, you ran a, a memory unit, and mm-hmm. you're quite aware of uh, the challenges as we age, and some of us develop dementia, mm-hmm. and that's something we're going to talk more about next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. Yay, good. Today's topic is one that you also have a lot of experience with uh, as the uh, uh, head of a uh, senior center where you actually see sometimes caregivers bringing their care recipients in. We're going to be delighted now to welcome Sharon Spector who joins us on our Caregiver SOS hotline up in Austin, Texas. Uh, caregiving resiliency is the topic for the show, and she got thrown into it uh, quite suddenly. We're delighted to have her with us. Uh, Sharon has journeyed through life as a New York City health educator, a corporate change facilitator, a keynote speaker, stress management consultant, and has worked as an assisted living activities coordinator. And now uh, this is a whole new field, a resiliency life coach. For caregivers, that's quite a mouthful. Welcome, Sharon (laughs) Spector.
2: Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here.
0: So tell us about your journey from uh, uh, the mild-mannered East Coast to Austin, Texas, when uh, your life literally got turned upside down, right?
2: Yes, it certainly did, yes. Well, the East Coast was not always so mild and mannered. But I started out in life as a health educator in the Lower East Side of New York City and always felt in alignment with how people can empower themselves through their own well-being and healthy habits. And through um, an assortment of life changes, I ended up as a corporate management trainer uh, for Quest Diagnostics. and. Soon after that, I became kind of a niche around stress management, and I developed their stress management program for the country, actually, and went all over the country talking about stress. So that was about 20 years ago, and what happened in, during that time, my both my parents began showing signs of illness, and especially my mom. and. I realized I could no longer be a long-distance caregiver. And thrown into the mix, I realized I needed to actually move to Austin, Texas. Um, So I brought my New York accent and started saying y'all in Austin and rolled up my sleeves. And lo and behold, I soon became a navigator to my mom's 35 diagnoses and necessitated to move her fourteen times.
3: Move and her
0: you were moving her from working. How were you moving her? What were you moving her to?
2: Right. Well, she went through a series of falls and rehabs and accidents. So actually two part, one based on reimbursement and the other based on the quality of the facility. She would max out at a facility or she would develop a new illness or situation where she currently was and needed to be moved again. So within a two-year period, actually, towards the end of her life, I moved her 14 times. Um, How how was
0: your dad doing during that time?
2: Actually, he passed away. So, yeah, so So, his journey ended during that period. Yeah, the
0: answer is he wasn't doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Right. Right.
0: Now so, you you move from New York to uh, to Austin, Texas. Uh, you have a lot of knowledge about uh, the health industry, uh, but you move into a community where uh, I'm assuming you didn't have a whole lot of uh, network kinds of connections with friends and family.
2: No, I didn't. I was pretty much the the lone soldier uh, overseeing her journey, and one of the things. One of the big learnings through that period of time, um, I really took on way too much, and I really didn't have a foundation in resiliency and being a caregiver. And I realized that those, those qualities of independence and ruggedness and trying to do it all myself would have been great if I was in the 1800s trying to settle the frontier, but I wasn't. So part of my learning was actually learning to enlist a
0: community of people to serve. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Sharon Spector, who is a caregiving resiliency specialist up in Austin, Texas, uh, learned all those tricks of the trade uh, through caring for her mom. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is pinch hitting for Carol Zernial today on Caregiver SOS On Air. And, And, Peaches, as you listen to Sharon talk about Caregivers taking on too much. Pretty familiar story.
1: It is familiar. And um, the one thing I hear in the story is these 35 diagnoses, which means to most people, you think, "Oh my gosh, thirty-five diagnoses," but it also means probably so much more medication to manage than most people would have to. So again, that goes back on to the caregiver trying to make sure that this is, you know, the medications are given at the right time. And what the diagnosis dementia, they don't want to take it, and so there's, I mean, that in itself, you, it makes you want to pull your hair out. So yeah. that co- <laughs> it does, it causes some behaviors for the for you know the person who's having to take the medication because the dementia. Right off, they become suspicious. There's some paranoia. They don't feel like they have it. Or maybe they thought they just finished taking it. So your whole day is like with a child, rechanging and rechanging and rechanging. But this one is medicating, medicating. Sharon,
0: do us a favor. Take us back to when you first touched down at uh, Austin Airport. Uh, What did you expect and what did you actually find? And uh, did you have a round-trip ticket and hope to go back?
2: (laughs) Yes, actually, um, there's a story involved that I was going back and forth um, within myself if I should go to Austin to, to actually undertake this, um, this journey. And I was sitting in a restaurant with a friend, and I was saying, I don't know if, if this is really the right direction for me. And in comes somebody into the restaurant wearing a T-shirt, and emblazoned on their chest was the word Austin. I went back to my office, quit my job and I was on a plane to Austin. So Not Yeah, today. so I, I touched I, actually I touched down and I had gone to the University of Texas and I was glad actually to be back in Austin. Um, but my, my my friend often comments the floor of my home was covered from one into the other trying to navigate all the documents, and as Peachie said, the medication, the caregivers, trying to understand what was essential, what was secondary, trying to ascertain how much my mother had tried had tried to keep hidden from me, and recreating a relationship of trust.
0: Well, when you say hidden so, from you, she didn't want you to worry, didn't want you to know.
2: Exactly, exactly.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So. A lot of it was recreating and deepening a relationship where my mother could look at me as a partner rather than trying to overtake her own decisions. It was always in the front of my mind, even though she could no longer drive every day. How can I still help her stay, metaphorically, in the driver's seat of her life and still navigate these 35 diagnoses? Luckily, cognitively, she was very intact, but her body had really become ravaged through, through the diagnosis.
0: So how did you learn to be a caregiver?
2: <laughs> well, it's very interesting how people handle stress. So initially, when I started getting the phone calls that things were not going well, um, when what I realized that I had entered a new dimension and a new time in my life, I became very stressed, and I did what management trainers do. I decided to create a workshop around caregiving. And so I started doing immense research, and that took my emphasis off the stress that I was experiencing to really learn what had hit me over the head, totally unaware, to make sense of it, to really understand the terrain, the journey, the loss, what I needed to let go of so I did it through doing research and creating a workshop not everybody's preferred way of dealing with stress but that's what I did
0: do you have siblings who were able to help as well
2: I do have one sibling actually he lives in Wimberley and during most of this he was on assignment up in Alaska
1: that's pretty Mm -hmm. common it always seems that there's one family member that takes the load yeah And it's the one that somehow can handle it.
0: So how did he arrange to get himself to Alaska?
1: He's He's a very vibrant and robust entrepreneur,
2: and his business took him to Alaska. So he was on a very exciting journey. So it really adds a whole other dimension when you have siblings. And as Peach has mentioned, I did become the primary caregiver And often caregivers, what I found, have either one role. But I had multiple roles. I had the everyday, practical. I was the overseer of the legal, the emotional. um, So, and also keeping him apprised. So I really, I worked to. I don't want to use the word train, but that's the word that came up to really train him how he could support me, the questions I wanted to be asked so he could provide that emotional support.
3: And
0: as you took a look at this journey that, that you were on, uh, it was all new to you as well. You've done a lot of work. Uh, Quest Diagnostics is uh, uh, mostly blood suckers, right? They're phlebotanists dragging blood out <laughs> of our bodies. So it's got nothing to do with caregiving other than you took your mom, I'm sure, for blood tests from time to time, right?
2: Oh, yeah, she was a a, a robust customer. And what was interesting and kind of ironic about this, that for the 10 years before I became a caregiver, my niche was teaching stress management and change management in organizations. So I knew a thing or two about stress and how to deal with change, but nothing really prepared me for what it was like to be a caregiver. All right, all, all, my, all my experience, it was like, yes, it really pointed me in the right direction. Stick with us just uh, a minute. We're,
0: we're going to come right back to you. Don't go anywhere. We're talking with Sharon Spector, uh, who is uh, a self-taught, now <laughs> expert, on caregiving and caregiving resiliency. She's just up the road from San Antonio, Texas, in Austin, and we're delighted to have her with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. And Peaches Hall is pinch-hitting today for Carol Zernial who is on special assignment. Ten years ago, Dr. George Rapier founded the WellMed Charitable Foundation. His goal, to support seniors and their caregivers in our community. Today, the WellMed Charitable Foundation has contributed millions to the local senior programs that focus on wellness, prevention, and living with chronic illness. Their programs improve the lives of our aging population and people that care for them. Programs like Caregiver SOS Resource Centers that offer complimentary support programs for those caring for loved ones with Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and a whole lot more. San Antonio has six Caregiver SOS Centers. For locations or more information, go to caregiversos.org. caregiversos.org or call 866-390-6491. For more information on how the WellMed Charitable Foundation is impacting San Antonio seniors and how you can help, go to WellMedCharitableFoundation.org. That's WellMedCharitableFoundation.org. Well, we are so pleased you are with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Peaches Hall, who is pinch-hitting for Carol Zernial today. And we're talking with Sharon Spector on the Caregiver SOS Hotline. Uh, She is up in Austin, Texas, and uh, ended up in Austin, uh, coming back after uh, graduating years past from the University of Texas. Uh, She comes to become become her mom's caregiver and literally turns her life upside down. Uh, Talk to us a bit about uh, the kind of stress uh, measures you had adapted from uh, the corporate world and training sessions you've done uh, into your life as a caregiver, Sharon?
3: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: Okay, um, that's a big question. Um, so
0: you weren't abusing alcohol or drugs to deal with stress, right?
2: Well, I have to say that I did, I did develop a taste for the finer wines. But uh, that certainly wasn't my main stress. Not in excess, in right? <laughs> not, not in excess. Because
0: there are some so, caregivers, as you know, uh, who get so incredibly stressed out uh, that they do teeter between uh, abuse of alcohol as a stress reliever. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. So that was my that was my lame attempt at a joke.
1: That but was good.
2: Learned, <laughs> well, thank you very much.
3: Thank you.
1: Sharon, mm-hmm. I, so, I I heard yeah. you say that you Um, trained your your brother to ask you the appropriate questions and I think that's probably one of the neatest things that I've heard because dealing with with families I've heard them say many times when my sister calls she doesn't ask me how I'm doing. When my sister calls she doesn't say how's mom doing or is there something you need or she doesn't just say to me you're doing a great job and I I couldn't do it and I'm so thankful that you're there. Those are kind of like the hot questions or the hot statements they don't get and so you've trained them to either give you the statement or ask you the question and that sometimes really puts the pin in that balloon
2: i think teachers, you nailed it those were exactly the questions that i presented up to my brother because i realized that being so far away i think there were times that he felt guilty that he couldn't participate more in the here and now in the present and he saw initially the huge toll it was taking mm-hmm. um in my life in so many ways. Um, I gave up my profession. I could no longer work. Um, I really didn't create a foundation that I stepped back to understand what caregiving was in terms of how to take care of myself and my own rights and needs. Um, And I think that caregivers become so overwhelmed that they don't use their voice to ask, not only ask what they need, to express, I need this,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and are you willing and able to help me with this mm-hmm. and the specifics. Yeah. So if people haven't learned to find their voice and be assertive before they go into caregiving, caregiving will certainly give them lots of opportunities to really develop that muscle.
0: Yeah. Now, you were a caregiver for your mom for uh, 10 years or so?
2: 10 years, yes, yeah, 10 years, exactly.
0: And when you came out here, did you have any idea you'd be doing it for that long?
2: No, and I think perhaps that was a blessing. If I would have known that this part of the journey would have been 10 years, I think that would have been really stressful. Um, It would have been cheap wines.
0: (laughs) Peaches said said you would have found cheap wines.
2: Yeah, that would have been (laughs) tough. (laughs) And, I wished I, and one of the, the things that I learned, I wished I would have carved out more time to spend with friends to go out and have that lunch mm-hmm. with a glass of wine, mm-hmm. to go out and um, to get an extra hug here and there to be supported. So I think for caregiving, that's so important. And especially for new caregivers, one of the things that I always share with them is do they have what I call an unofficial caregiver bill of rights, have they really looked at what they feel they have the right to. They have a right to choose a plan of caring that makes room for their needs and their parents. They have a right to take care of themselves, a right to maintain their life. So it's really taking a step back and putting
1: that piece in. And after 10 years, you don't realize that every year you're losing a little bit more of yourself? And before you know it, you stop taking care of yourself. After 10 years, you're trained to not do that. It's without even knowing it. It just goes away. It disappears.
2: Well, I'll tell you. One of the things, one of the big questions that came up for me, and it's a big question, is how to walk the journey with, with someone you love that's in so much pain. Yeah. And that was a question that, was a bigger question than I ever could answer in the moment. Because mm-hmm. what I found caregiving to be, it's a journey that breaks your heart. But if you stay, pre- this is my experience, but staying present, asking the big questions, using what I call a mountain lion approach to stress, it not only breaks our heart, but has the capacity to open it. Mm-hmm. Wide open, and what what happens when the heart is broken? That I found a greater capacity to love. So that that was one of the real pearls, and um, that made the ten years a blessing, as opposed to just a quite an arduous journey up a mountain with this big backpack on.
1: Well, one thing I would say too is also find um, those places that help you. We're fortunate at my senior center, we have a program called Caregiver SOS, and you must be 60 to attend our our center, but especially for the caregiver's families if they are under 60, we will bring them in and let them come when they just need an hour to get away, when they just need a place that they can go and have a meeting, when all those things happen. And if you get that, that gives you a little bit more strength to know that there's support somewhere.
3: Yes. Yes. Now, as you think about think the
0: kinds of things that you learned and have put into practice, you started uh, holding workshops and uh, uh, coaching caregivers, and you've got a book coming out, What Mountain Lions Can Teach Caregivers About Stress. Uh, tell me about the fascination with mountain lions.
2: <laughs> well, I did live in California for a while, and when I used to go hiking up in the redwoods, I would see these signs posted uh, for for hikers to beware of where mountain lions had been um, prancing around. So I became very conscious of, uh, of mountain lions. So there's actually two animals that fascinate me about caregiving. I'll come back to the mountain lion in a second. The other is the giraffe. And there's something I just learned about giraffes that I think are very appropriate to caregivers. I didn't know this, but giraffes. In the animal kingdom have the biggest heart and the widest perspective and I thought boy that that really sums up caregiving that uh, the biggest heart when you're doing caregiving I think part of it is developing compassion for yourself and a hugest neck of perspective because the strategies that you used up to that point are not going to be the strategies that are going to get you through caregiving so that's the giraffe and what the mountain lion teaches us about stress is that if you envision a mountain lion or even um, your, your kitty cat at home when they see a prey that they want to attack they rarely just lunge at it they do three things that I found fascinating that I've applied to caregiving as well as my life The first thing they do is they stop. They become stop and become laser focused. Then they take several steps back to get their grounding, get positioned because that's where their power lies, and then they lunge forward into action. And when I found so many caregivers, there's crises going on There's fires to be put out. There's the everyday practical. And we become lungers, lunging forward. And when I think about a mountain lion, they stop. They take several steps back. They get positioned. And there's power in that pause. And I think for caregivers, rather than become reactive, if we can use that power when we take a step back, And choose our our response rather than react, react, react. So that's what a mountain lion has taught me about stress. And
1: it's a survival
0: technique, obviously.
1: And you're building a you're building a caregiver uh, totem. That's nice. Totem, like a totem pole, where people have all the animals that are perspective in their life and what it's. So it's really neat. Exactly.
2: That's exactly. And I I can give you an example that I would say we were quite frequent flyers in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And I I would probably get three, four, five calls a month at 2 o'clock in the morning to go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. So it really became part of my routine. I would get the call. I would grab my purse. And I would rush to the emergency room to see what needed to happen. And it really... was one of the, the big stressors in my life. Mm-hmm. And then when I started using a mountain lion approach, it really changed that. So I get the call at 2 o'clock, and caregivers need to be talking to themselves all the time. They need to be their best friend coaches. So I would stop. I would take several steps back, and I would ask myself several questions. What's my goal here? Is this life-threatening? And I would train myself to say, "Okay, Sharon, what do you have control over in this moment?" And it was always three things: what I say, do, and think. So I pull myself back, ask that question: "What can I say, do, or think?" I call the emergency room. Is this life threatening? And um, my goal always was also to protect my central nervous system mm-hmm. in that pause.
0: All right, now hold that thought. We're, we're going to come right back to you. Sharon Spector is with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. She is, by uh, a personal experience over 10 years, caring for her mom, a caregiving resiliency coach. We're going to find out about that as well. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall. Peaches is pinch hitting for Carol Zernio today on Caregiver SOS On Air. Music This is a fascinating conversation, and it's what we do here on Caregiver SOS On Air every week at 6 o'clock on Sunday afternoons, or you can hear all of our shows via podcast. I'm Ron Aaron, and pinch hitting for Carol Zernio today is Peaches Hall. Peaches is the director at the Griffin Senior Center right behind the Olive Garden on 410 near Ingram Park Mall. And we're talking with Sharon Spector on our Caregiver SOS Hotline and as we talk with you, Sharon, it is amazing uh, what you obviously have had to learn and master over the past 10 years. And the nice thing is you have turned it uh, into both uh, a, a way to keep yourself busy and a way to help caregivers as well. Uh, tell us about uh, your effort to do workshops and coaching caregivers. Sure.
2: Um, so as what I – Learned is that resiliency was the word that kept coming up for me about my own resiliency so I wouldn't burn out and end up in the emergency room myself. So what I do, I am a life coach, and I partner with caregivers to help them create a groundedness and a solidness so they can respond rather than react the stresses of caregiving. And again, to protect that central nervous system, which I think is really a key component. So I help them build and develop their own capacity so they can recover quickly from the challenges of caregiving.
0: And is that something everybody can learn?
2: I I think these are actually life skills for a lifetime, that these are skills to master to really to be able to enhance the quality of anybody's life, either before caregiving, during caregiving, but when we're doing caregiving, the temperature is turned up, that we really need these kinds of groundedness, solidness. Otherwise, we're reacting to every crisis, thoughts in our minds. Um, and big decisions that we have to make. Yes, I think it's for actually everybody.
0: Uh, and in the caregiving situation, yours especially with uh, all of the crises your mom faced from time to time, uh, you had to bring order to a world of chaos. Yes, it
2: was <laughs> it was a very chaotic world. What I, and what I learned is, This pulling back like a mountain lion into the moment, I remember one Christmas Eve, I got a phone call, I had to come to the emergency room, and I really needed in that moment to let go of all my plans for Christmas to be present with my mom. So when I got there, my definition of stress is a little bit different than other people's. The traditional definition of stress is the body's response to a threat or change. My definition of stress is resisting what is. Resisting what is. Mm. So I'm at the emergency room on Christmas Eve and my other plans were gone. So to resist that, even though I had really big party plans, but I needed to let go of what was planned and be present in that moment and I got to choose my strategy. So after mom was all wrapped up, bandaged up, I said, you know, as long as we're here, we might as well bring joy to somebody else. And I literally pushed her gurney through the hallways, and we were singing holiday songs. So it was letting go of my preference, being present in the moment, and expanding the moment. Yeah, a lot of letting go. A lot is letting go. I think caregivers, uh, they're real. They, Caregiving brings us very intimately with what I call the L, with life, love, loss, and letting go.
1: Yeah. And, and Sharon, don't you feel um, a lot of it, too, is your preparation? So I'm sure your mom was in several assisted living and several um Rehabs and also the nursing homes. But there are some very important questions to ask, like, do you take them to the end of lifetime? You know, do some people say, oh no, they've gotten to the point where they've deteriorated, we can't handle them here anymore. So to know that when you go in, because a lot of times they're not going to tell you, um, as soon as your mother is not able to transfer, she can't be here. Or as soon as she's not able to, or once she gets a bed sore, she's not, you know. So you need to know, you have to have all that information. And when they do fall, what is your plan what is your, what do you do once there's a fall you know who do you connect with who do you contact what are your policies on a fall period um, because sometimes right. they send them out in the and and is it true they always fall in the middle of the night or a holiday yeah, yeah. so you have to know what what are they going to do and sometimes the the director of the community can say we sent them out. We have a staff member with them. Right now, there's nothing more. It's okay. They're just doing an x-ray. If there's a problem, we will call you. So it doesn't always mean that you have to, to jump and go to the hospital. It's nice to get just to know that you're notified, but you don't always go to the hospital.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So 14 yes. moves, you know, that was a lot, and that was stress on your mom, stress on you. That was tough. And what was that in, probably the last three years?
2: No, actually, the fourteen moves were were in the last two years, mm,
1: okay. and
2: most of those were medically indicated. Mm-hmm. Most, of, the, most mm-hmm. of those, yeah, were medically indicated, mm-hmm. and so again, the caregiver also, as much as possible, to be proactive and always be looking at what the next step is and what the facilities uh-huh. are available, and to visit them and ask the questions and have lunch and speak to the
0: DON. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now, you That's said awesome. your, your mom's uh, cognitive uh, abilities uh, were all there, all connected. So uh, in some ways, it had to be even more stressful for her because she knew what was happening.
2: Right. Yes. You know, yes. if you have dementia,
0: oh. you're at a point where you have no idea uh, although it's sad and and it, it's certainly emotional, uh, in, in your mom's case, uh, she was quite aware of uh, all, all the challenges that she was facing uh, and that uh, you as her caregiver uh, were facing. Uh, how was your relationship with your mother before you became her caregiver? Mm-hmm. It
2: was a very interesting, very interesting relationship. Um, I actually left home when I was 18 years old to go create some independence in my life. (coughs) Excuse me. That um, my mother and I were close, but there was always a part of me that did not feel I had my own life. So I went and took off after college to, to New York City. So being a caregiver was like a boomerang coming back and finishing the relationship. And something about the caregiving gives us an opportunity to really strip off the superficiality and get to the heart of the matter. So there was a lot of healing in the relationship. I mean, we have the tough conversations. Um, like what? As, as you noted, well, one of the, the toughest was, as you noted, that cognitively she was really strong mm-hmm. and she saw what was being asked of me and to the degree that I did it. And she said to me, I have become a burden to you, haven't I? Well, that's a big question. That my life certainly, I had given up a lot in my life to take this on and she observed all of it and she felt very guilty. So I needed to become like a lawyer. And Hmm. I asked her, I said, when you were a caregiver to your parents, did you love them? Yes. Was it hard? Yeah. Did sometimes you go beyond what you thought you could? Yeah, I really did. Um, were there times that you resented it? Yeah, I guess so. And I just looked her straight in the face and I really wanted her to hear me and I said, Mom, I guess you and I are very similar. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough one. It was not an easy conversation. It just, It But I think that caregiving gives us the opportunity to really, as I shared, strip away the superficiality and really go to the heart of matter, of relationships. So we did have a bumpy relationship, but caregiving, Hmm. I'll tell you, that was a Lollapalooza, and I never used that word. Uh, That was a Lollapalooza.
3: Lollapalooza So tell us, we've got
0: about uh, four minutes left or so. Uh, Tell us what You learned about yourself Through this process
2: Right Thank you for that question Um, I think one um, I learned I was More resilient Than I ever imagined I learned To live in the moment My philosophy of life Has become life is a series Of moments and every moment I get a choice Whoops, that moment just went. Whoops, huh. that moment just left. And slowing down life creates the chance for me to make better choices. And the other is my heart just broke open. And I love life. I want to just squeeze the juice out of it. And I want to give back to other caregivers who. Are on are in this journey, and what both you and Peaches have shared that the challenges and entering this new way of life um, that there that there are strategies to create a life within this new life, and there is joy and there is laughter.
0: How do folks get a hold so think, of you?
2: Well, I. I'm just now working on a new website, but they are very, very welcome to call me directly. And may I give my phone number sure. and email address? Sure. Thank you. Okay. So my direct uh, direct phone number to my office is 512-460-9108. And you are also welcome to email me at sharingjoy.com. S-H-A-R-I-N-G-J-O-Y SharingJoy at Y just the letter Y Ymail.com I'd be thrilled to have a conversation.
0: Okay, give us the email address again.
2: Sure. SharingJoy at Ymail.com
0: Cool, and if folks uh, want to keep track of that Uh, website that you are building it'll be up in the next week month year 10 years well i'm sure
2: yeah things always take a little
0: bit longer when it comes
3: to technology i would say
2: in the next
0: month or so okay that's cool and and you're based in austin but with the uh, with the telephone and with uh, facetime and skype you can talk to people all over the country and help them out i'm sure
2: well, I'm part time in Austin and part time in Carefree, Arizona. How's cool. that for the name of the city? Carefree.
0: Uh, <laughs> I like that. And yeah. And, and uh, your brother is back in Austin.
2: He's now in Wimberley, Wimberley, Texas. Oh,
0: right, Wimberley. You had said that, right? What I meant was he's back from Alaska. Oh
2: yes, yeah. yes,
0: he is. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything we haven't asked you that you want to add?
2: I think I think your questions were were really spot on, and I just appreciate the opportunity to uh, to dialogue
1: with y'all. I appreciate the book that you're putting together. I think this is going to help a lot of people. There's such a need for this anymore.
0: When do you expect it to be out?
2: Oh, I would say in the next six months.
0: Nice. What mountain lions can teach caregivers about stress? What's well, a good title? I like that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, love the, I love the mountain lions. I
0: just don't want to see one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want to be eaten by one. Well, thank you so much, Chair <laughs> Inspector. Appreciate you coming on, and you take care.
3: Thanks oh, for, you're very, very Thanks welcome. for sharing your thank journey. You. Okay,
0: bye-bye. Bye. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, pinch-hitting uh, today for Carol Zernial. Up next is Take 10. We'll be talking with Dr. Jamie Heisman about a hot topic and a hot issue right here on caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer 10 years ago dr george rapier founded the well med charitable foundation his goal to support seniors and their caregivers in our community Today, the WellMed Charitable Foundation has contributed millions to the local senior programs that focus on wellness, prevention, and living with chronic illness. Their programs improve the lives of our aging population and people that care for them. Programs like Caregiver SOS Resource Centers that offer complimentary support programs for those caring for loved ones with Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and a whole lot more. San Antonio has six Caregiver SOS Centers. For locations or more information, go to caregiversos.org. caregiversos.org or call 866-390-6491. For more information on how the WellMed Charitable Foundation is impacting San Antonio seniors and how you can help, go to WellMedCharitableFoundation.org. That's WellMedCharitableFoundation.org. At the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, we bring you Take 10, and that's what we're going to do right now. I'm Ron Aaron. Joining us now on the Caregiver SOS on-air hotline, Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known expert in caregiving and a psychotherapist who deals quite often with cases of addiction. And with us as well, pinch-hitting for Carol Zernial is Peaches Hall, who in her career not only has been managing a senior center here in San Antonio, Texas, but also has tremendous experience managing memory care units for those with dementia. And Dr. Jamie Peaches and I came up with a topic uh, talking about, uh, and, and I think you're the only human being I know who really has this at the tip of his finger, end-of-life questions, the, the kind of thing that uh, you need to answer uh, before it's too late for you to answer them. Uh, how important is that?
4: Well, to me, they're hugely important, and you're right. Actually, I do have met at my fingers. If you go through what I've gone through and anybody goes through in the past like year and a half or I had several surgeries done and had to go under anesthesia. Um, You're definitely going to want to be prepared. And and to be prepared, I believe, and what I keep next to my uh, desk, as my sister knows exactly where to find it, is the five wishes. And, Peaches, I'm sure you're familiar with the five wishes, aren't you?
1: I am. Very much so. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about it from time to
0: time on this show with you, Jamie. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What well, we have, and, and, and it's online, too, and everybody can access it. So
0: remind us, what are the five wishes, and why are they important?
4: Well, you know, we can all talk this out. This is a good round robin, but the five wishes is is really, I think, the first living will that that, that talks about your personal, emotional, and spiritual needs, as well as your medical wishes. To me, uh, it lets you choose the person that makes the health care decisions, it lets you actually talk to the world when you can't talk to them and have a, uh, somebody as your proxy be able to say the things that really you want at the end of life um, in terms of, of so many things. The beauty of the four wishes is it's far beyond a living will. It, it really does state things that, that medically, psychologically, spiritually, we'd love to say if we were capable of it, but we all know life is random and sometimes we're not.
0: So take us through Jamie's five wishes.
4: Oh, no. If I took you through it, I mean, flat out tell you, it could take more than a 10-minute segment. Yeah. And but it's, uh, it's, but it's, I will it. tell you that the first wish, and uh, we can talk about it, is, is that the person that you want to make health care decisions for you. You know, when you can't make them for yourself, who in your life, and this is the first wish, would you want to actually be your proxy, to you to trust, and remember what we say about trust, to reach ultimate success together, who would you want to speak for you? And to me, that's that's wish number one.
0: That's an interesting point because uh, very often the tendency would be to pick uh, your loved one, your significant other, uh, and yet that's the person who may not follow your wish, not provide extraordinary measures to keep you alive.
4: Well, I have a confession, and I'm sure Peaches will have a, uh, something to say about this, but um, I did not choose my partner um, to be that person to speak for me. Um, I actually chose my sister, and the reason why I chose her is she's a licensed clinical social worker. Um, she understands the medical system quite well in hospitals and long-term care, and, and she understands her brother um, extraordinarily well. And so though I, I, I may love my partner and really want my partner to, to be involved in some way, um, I really felt much more comfortable with these decisions being made by my sister.
0: And she won't keep you on a ventilator for 30 years.
4: No, she's very clear about that. We've had our conversations. I mean, for me, it's a a DNR. It's do not resuscitate. And and, and I I just look at the quality. And for somebody else, it may be entirely different, Ron. And so nobody should be listening to me for recommendations. But from a personal standpoint, you know, after going through a lot of things and stuff, sometimes you want just the quality of your life to be what you want the quality of your life to be.
1: Right. And the, the uh, five wishes you're talking about is a pamphlet and it's so wonderful. It guides you through, tells you anything. Unfortunately, it's not recognized in Texas. So I tell people to take that to their attorney and, and take it and put it into a form that Texas will accept.
4: But the beauty is, it's, you know, and just so there's validity in all the listeners' minds, it's actually accepted in 42 states right. around the country. Uh-huh. And a very close friend of mine who was department of, uh, head of Department of Children and Family in the state of Florida, his name is Jim Toohey, uh-huh. he was actually the originator of the Five Wishes, and um, it is accepted uh, around the country. You're right. And In fact, when I brought them to the hospital I was at in Baylor in Texas, Uh, they said uh, it was one of the eight states that you had to do something in addition to it. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you and I interviewed uh, Jim Toohey when we did Aging Well down in Florida, the program we did for a while for WellMed.
4: Yes, yes. A fascinating guy, truly, truly innovative, and um, I'm really happy he he was able to put this together, but he's really been a force of nature in getting it around the country. He's powerful. So um, I'll break into wish number two. Okay. Yes. My wish... For the kind of medical treatment i want or i don't want and that's something again a conversation when you can consciously have it and you're cognitively okay which is really something that i love to talk to caregivers all the time about you don't have to do this simply because a chronic or terminal illness has hit your loved one but this should be sometimes dinner conversations and i believe that the younger let's say the caregiver should be able to do this and go to their parents who may have not have created the five wishes and says, would you help me with mine? Because it's inspirational then for them to do theirs.
0: That's a good point. Uh, and by the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10, part of our Caregiver SOS on-air program. Dr. Jamie Heisman is with us. Pinch hitting for Carol Zernio of Peaches Hall. I'm Ron Aaron. We're on 930 AM, The Answer, talking about end-of-care questions uh, and, and how we ought to prepare for them. What is it about uh, the human condition, or is it just us Americans, Jamie, who really don't like to face questions of death?
4: Well, you know, death and dying is, is a taboo, and um, there's a lot of, of real denial. I mean, sometimes you know, defense mechanisms are good for us. Sometimes they protect us from a lot of the pain of, of our, our lives around us. But in terms of birth, in terms of reason for, Realizing why you were born, for instance, and in terms of death, um, all these things are inevitable. And I think that we don't converse about it. We just deny around it. And there's some beautiful philosophies out there that allow us to accept death and dying um, on a lifetime basis, but even on a um, moment-by-moment basis, if you will.
0: When you say moment-by-moment, moment, you mean?
4: Living in the moment. And, uh, for instance, the Buddhist philosophy, if you will, will talk to you about life being a continual sort of of ending of a moment and letting go, uh, a grieving process. If you really live in the moment and leave that moment, you know, life is full of, of a lot of losses. And, um, and it's something that I think that we should uh, be able to talk about and converse with our family. And I also believe, again, as a good therapist, uh, if we are fearful of death and dying, we should be able to talk to somebody about those fears.
1: I think that parents sometimes, too, and I love this part about it, is getting your finances together. And it's a, it's a amazing how many kids feel their parents don't know how to take care of their own finances. So, you know, and the parents are a little afraid to say, I'm splitting the house, I'm doing this. And it puts it out there. You can make those decisions.
4: You're right, Peaches. In fact, it kind of segues into the wish number three, which is, uh, I believe, my wish for how comfortable I want to be. And I think that is a biological, psychological, financial, you name it, issue. And, and being able to talk about those things, especially with a third party there, like you just mentioned, with somebody who understands, you know, um, aging and, and and death and dying and, and about financial issues. It's always good to have a third party. Um I'm kind of fortunate, as I said, I'm a social worker and my sister's a social worker, so we're able to kind of try to have these conversations on our own. But I don't necessarily suggest that for everybody.
0: Mm -hmm. Speaking of being comfortable and uh, caring, uh, there was a wonderful story in the news today. Of course, uh, we all mourned the death of Muhammad Ali, and one of the things uh, that reportedly he did when the Parkinson's Clinic in Arizona, uh, where he was living, uh, asked if they could name a wing after him, he said yes on condition that you'll treat everybody without regard to their ability to pay.
4: Wow, well, that's pretty that cool. That was my hero. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I can tell you that there's nobody beyond my immediate family that was ever a greater hero than me than, than Muhammad Ali, and the way he had actually lived his life, and especially mm-hmm. with the with the dignity he, he he found, and the humor even he found in having Parkinson's disease. So we
0: have about twenty seconds left.
4: Okay, quickly, uh, the fourth wish is my wish for how I want people to treat me. And the fifth wish is my wish for what I want my loved ones to know. And that, I think, is the beauty of the, of the oh. five wishes, is that you actually can tell your loved ones something about you and, and tell them something about themselves and about the relationship. It's a wonderful thing. I would suggest everybody, whether it was in that valid in the state of Texas or not, um, I think you just need to get notarized there. Mm-hmm. Go online and put five wishes and Google it immediately
0: stop you right there dr jamie heisman thank you very much Beaches hall pinch hitting for carol zernil i'm ron aaron this has been take 10 on caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer you've been listening to caregiver sos on air Presented by the Wellmed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net and join your hosts Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m. The answer.